If you need a new roof or a repair, Easton Roofing will take care of you. Estimates are always free and suggestions are built on integrity. Visit EastonRoofing.com for more information. Get back to business faster with Easton Roofing. Easton Roofing. Integrity matters. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City. 1510 a.m. and 94.5 FM. It is Tuesday, and it's another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 a.m. ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Garrettson and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal, or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and northeast Kansas for years. Also be sure to visit Kim Howard and Associates Agency at 105th and Metcalf in Overland Park or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. If you call that number, by the way, and mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift, it will give you a free $10 gift card to Starbucks to use on whatever you would like. Coffee, tea, breakfast items, it's your $10. So all you got to do is call Kim Howard Associates Agency at, a, at 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. It's wild to think that after all these months of Chiefs talk, previewing the games, recapping the games, playing you audio, that it's finally over. And now for the next six or seven months, there will be no games to preview. So I think it's the best thing to do and and milk out this final game of the 2022-2023 season. And I think when you do win the Super Bowl, there's lots to cover. I think it's usually about a week afterwards in the aftermath of winning the Super Bowl. You still got things to talk about, and especially when the game was as highly coveted, it was as entertaining as everybody expected it to be. So I thought to open up the show today, we will go back and rewind what happened in that 38-35 thriller for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles, the five biggest moments of the game that resulted in the Chiefs winning their second Super Bowl in just four years. So number one to me, and these don't have to be in any particular order, I think they're just five moments really that really impacted the game. I think it's a no-brainer that the Nick Bolton scoop and score was the biggest moment of the first half for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I contemplated having that first offensive series be on the list because once Philly drove down the length of the field and scored effortlessly in the opening moments of the game, the Chiefs needed to respond in the hurry. They couldn't go three and out. They couldn't have a turnover because Philly would have been able to expose them rather quickly in the game. No jump out 14 nothing before you could even blink. But I decided that in the first half, by far and away, the biggest moment of that game was the scoop and score by Nick Bolton. And what's even more impressive about this entire play is that Nick Bolton was the one who was stopping Jalen Hurts. You know, when Jalen Hurts decided to have the QB draw, it was Nick Bolton there to fill the hole, fill the gap that was made by the offensive line. They read that play very well, and Nick Bolton's there to stop Jalen Hurts, and you think on the surface, great, you're going to force a punt, ball goes back to Kansas City, and go down and tie this game back up. But as Jalen Hurts is trying to elude Nick Bolton, try to roll out right, he tries to switch the ball in his hands, 
and just fumbles it away. And then it's Nick Bolton once again out in front of the pack, picking up the ball and running it back into the end zone to tie things up at 14. Nick Bolton got a lot of criticism this year from a certain group of fans. I would not say that it was the overwhelming majority, but I think some fans on Twitter got tired of all the praise that Nick Bolden got, that there was nothing ever wrong that Nick Bolden did. You know, he was great in coverage, great at defending the run. He was just the best linebacker on the field, and and that just wasn't the case. Nick Bolden is a good linebacker. He really is. I wouldn't say that he regressed in year two, but I think there were games this year where Nick Bolden was really picked apart by an opposing quarterback. I think the one game that comes to mind was the loss to Cincinnati at Paycor Stadium. Joe Burrow went right after Nick Bolton. And we said yesterday on the show that it really felt like a revenge game for Kansas City, not because they had lost to Philly in the regular season, but it was because some of the players that stepped up were ones that had a lot of criticism all year long. Nick Bolton stepped up. Sky Moore stepped up. I think even Juju Smith-Schuster was criticized early on in the year because he wasn't putting up big numbers. It took him a little bit to get used to the offense. He had a great game. So you had some of these guys who had suffered their fair share of criticism, and that's always going to happen when you're on a really good team. Even the great players are going to be criticized from time to time. But Nick Bolton, being one of the top players on the defense, is going to take on some of that responsibility of being the reason as to why or why not the defense played well. But to have that scoop and score, not just be there right place, right time, he pretty much changed that play alone. He was the one that was going to bring down Jalen Hurts. He was the one that was going to force a punt. He's the one that forced the fumble. He's the one that picked up the fumble. And he's the one who ran away from everybody else. It's crazy to think that he has two scoop and scores already in his career, just two years. There are guys that go an entire career without even recovering a fumble. But Nick Bolden was there. He was the reason that play got out of whack for Philadelphia. And it was nice to see because Nick Bolden, of course, is one of the headliners of this defense, being from Mizzou, kind of taking on as that violent hitting linebacker. He was the one that everybody fell in love with last year. And then in the sophomore season, sometimes that love wears off a little bit with some fans. But nobody could deny in that moment that was probably the best play of the year for Nick Bolden. He also had the highest grade of any defender for the Chiefs per PFF. Pro football focus, if you don't understand the initials of PFF. So the Nick Bolden scoop and score, by far and away, is one of the most game-changing moments of Super Bowl 57. The second one on my list, and again, these are not in any particular order. I'm not going to rank them one through five. These are just the five biggest moments to me. It was the Kadarius Tony punt return. That may have well been the biggest play of the game. Because of where things were standing, you had just had Philly on the ropes. You had the dump-off pass to Tony to make it 28-27, and then Tony returns it down inside the five after Philly went three and out. And I think special teams, if there was one area the Chiefs really struggled all year long. It was special teams. It never got better. And sometimes I like proving myself wrong. You could go back to a past audio clip, and I believe we were talking about the special teams and the defense and the flaws of this team heading into the postseason. And I vividly remember saying, 
the special teams is not going to get better. It is what it is. It would have changed in week 8, week 9, week 10. It never did. It was bad from week 1 to week 17. And you know what? Credit to Dave Tobe and this coaching staff and the players involved on special teams to turn things around. Special teams made an impact in the last two games for the Kansas City Chiefs. You had the Sky Moore punt return to set up the Chiefs for the game-winning field goal. Harrison Butker, aside from the joint field goal in the Super Bowl, was perfect. He became the trustworthy Harrison Butker again. And then Kadarius Toney, who you went out and acquired around the trade deadline, comes in and immediately makes an impact, both with the receiving game and the running game and now special teams. And I think you can look at Kadarius Toney next year as being your guy. I think that was always the problem for the Chiefs in you know, the special teams unit this year was that when you lost Tyreek Hill, you wanted to just give that responsibility to McCole Hardman. Only they didn't. It went to Sky Moore. And Sky Moore muffed three, point, three punts this year. Then you went to Justin Watson. And Justin Watson was fine. He could catch the punt, but they weren't doing anything to help the offense. They were just letting the ball bounce or fair catching it inside their own 20-yard line. Kadarius Toney gave them a different look. And yeah, Kadarius Toney had his mistakes. He had a fumble on a punt return against Denver in the regular season. But in that moment, on the biggest stage, to have a play bottled up, I think there's few punt returners in the game that can kind of take things into their own hands. The blocking breaks down. You know, you're surrounded by two or three guys and still gain positive yards out of it. Kadarius Toney did that. He was about to be wrapped up, and it wouldn't have been a bad punt return, but he turned a negative play or a mediocre play into a Super Bowl-winning play. To return that thing inside the five-yard line, we have not seen a punt return like that for the Chiefs since Tyreek Hill for sure. That looked more to me like a Dante Hall-type return, just shifty back and forth, breaking ankles. Tyreek Hill was just unbelievably quick. If there was a block for him, he was getting through it. He was getting around it. Kadarius Toney is more so misdirecting everybody else. He's that quick. He's that shifty, agile. And the Eagles were diving for his legs, and it reminded me of Dante Hall. Not maybe to the magnitude of his punt return against Denver or his kick return against the Indianapolis Colts in the no-punt game, but it looked very human joystick-like. And it was incredible to watch. And I think everybody would have agreed that if Kadarius Tony did nothing else all season long and all he had was the touchdown in the Super Bowl and the punt return, you would have all agreed that trade was worth it. But it's the fact he did so much more on the time he was on the field. I am wildly excited about the future for Kadarius Tony. I think the Chiefs, as long as he stays healthy, have found a top weapon in their offense. If you thought McCole Hardman was very serviceable in the prime of his career, and maybe he still is in the prime, but if you thought that McCole Hardman as a gadget player was very effective in this offense, take McCole Hardman, make him a better route runner and a better pass catcher. That's Kadarius Toney. He does everything McCole Hardman does well and better. I think where McCole Hardman has him beat is that he's healthier. He's not as injury-prone. And that may be ironic because McCole Hardman was banged up all this year. But as long as Kadarius Toney has a no-setback, all-fully-healthy offseason, I expect him to waltz in 
and be the number two wide receiver in Kansas City over MVS. If they re-sign Juju Smith-Schuster, which it appears they're wanting to do so, you have Juju, Tony, Sky Moore, and MVS. That is a A-OK starting four wide receiver group for me. Travis Kelsey's back. Noah Gray's back. You're not losing many offensive starters. But Tony really is the difference for me, and he was one of the biggest differences in the game. So that punt return is one of the top five biggest moments of the game. Number three, I'm going to go with the Patrick Mahomes scramble on the final offensive series of the game. When you have a bum ankle, I think the last thing you want to do is take off it, take off with it. You know, you don't want to really be moving around a lot in the pocket. If it's really banged up, you don't want to have to run 10, 15 yards upfield. But Patrick Mahomes put his body on the line for that play. And he didn't go down as soon as he got the first down. He continued to run in an open space. And that was the play for me that settled me into they're going to win it. I had had moments where I had confidence and the momentum was swinging in favor of Kansas City where I said, I think they're going to win it. That scramble for me, I said, they are going to win it. They are going to be able to drain out the clock here and kick a game-winning field goal. Because though Patrick Mahomes is not the quickest quarterback, he's not really somebody you have to worry about his feet. He is deceptively fleet-footed. I mean, when he does get into space, it doesn't look very graceful. He doesn't look like Lamar Jackson running the football. He doesn't look like Kyler Murray running the football. He doesn't look like Jalen Hurts running the football. It's kind of awkward looking. But you kind of blink it. He's 20, 25 yards down the field. He's a bigger guy. He's six foot three, six foot four, 225, 230, 35 pounds. He's not Josh Allen at six foot six, 250 pounds. And even Allen's more of a graceful runner than Mahomes. But he's smart at when he scrambles. And I think what makes him so good as a scrambler is that the defense has never sold he's going to run. The defense is still waiting for him to have this no-look sidearm pass. They have to wait to the last moment that he tucks his head and runs that he's going to be 5, 10 yards down the field. He does the pump fakes on the run. And the defenders always bite because you know what? He does that. If you're a quarterback that doesn't throw on the run, they're not going to fall for the pump fake. They're knowing you are going to run. Like Jalen Hurts on Sunday night committed to the run very early on a lot of certain plays. He just tucked his head and went. And he still was very effective running the football, but the Chiefs weren't biting for his pump fakes. And if defenders never fell for the pump fake that Mahomes has, he would never be a great runner because they just zero in on him. And he's not quick enough to avoid that type of pressure. But we are here in year five now as him as a starter, and I'm still baffled at times how he gets that far down the field without being touched. He steps up in the pocket, and when that space opens up, he takes off. And it just never looks as smooth, as clean as other quarterbacks in this league, but he gets the job done. And you would be lying if you said that wasn't the play for you that solidified your opinion the Chiefs would win it. That, to me, by far and away, was that's the dagger. They're easily in field goal range. They'll butker missed earlier. They're going to get five to ten more yards. They're going to be fine, set up the game-winning field goals. And lo and behold, that did happen. So that was key number three for me. Or that was one of the biggest ones again. That was number three. Number four, I am going to go to 
back earlier on the final offensive series. And this is kind of an under-the-radar type of play. But this one, I think, kick-started the final drive. I want to say it was second and eight. I think they just handed the ball off to Isaiah Pacheco. And it's second and eight, and you're going, all right, you cannot go three and out. You don't want to give the ball back to Philly because they will be the ones to drive down the field, kick the game-winning field goal. And I think you've seen this on Twitter because it's so unbelievably heads up by Travis Kelsey that you know even when he's 37, 38, 39 years old, he's going to have this football IQ that is just head and shoulders above a lot of other players in football. So Patrick Mahomes is under a little bit of duress. The pocket's collapsing. And Travis Kelsey's kind of down by the lower side of your screen. And Juju's off the screen. You can't see Juju Smith-Schuster. And I'm watching the game, and I'm going, there's nobody there. He's got to take off and run with it. He's got to find somebody down the field. There has to be a busted coverage play. Something has to happen here because you don't want to be in third and long with the game on the line. And you can see Travis Kelsey use his left hand and just point to somebody you can't see on the screen. Mahomes looks at Kelsey because he's trying to get the ball to Kelsey, but sees him pointing, and there he is, Judy Smith-Schuster, wide open near the sideline. Mahomes dumps it off to him. He picks up the first down and then some. That, to me, shows how intelligent this offense is and how patient they are, how calm they are under pressure. You know, some quarterbacks, when they are pressured, when they are feeling the heat, They'll look for one guy and think they're open and just fire it in there or fire it at their feet because they're nervous about getting sacked. They're nervous about a turnover. And late in the fourth quarter, few guys in the league just have no pressure. They're not sweating. And Mahomes saw Kelsey, probably thought in his mind, all right, I need to get the ball out quickly. There's Travis. But Travis is going, hey, I'm not that open. Point to Judas Schuster, And he points to him. Patrick Mahomes dumps it off, and he takes it 15 yards down the field. It's so heads up, and it's it's so easy to just brush that play off and say, oh, he's wide open, right? But it's, I think, how the play unfolded. When plays break down for the Kansas City Chiefs, there's always somebody that finds a way to get open. It's kind of like pickup basketball, and a guy picks up his dribble, and some guys panic and just throw it up there. They don't want to be double teamed. But when you're on a good team or you have good teammates, they work to get open. I've watched a lot of NFL games this year. Hell, I've watched a lot of NFL games in my lifetime. You can see with the bad teams, the younger receivers, the inexperienced receivers, they run their route, and when the route's done, they stop running. They don't make an effort to come back to the ball. Travis Kelsey will box somebody out. He will find a way to get open. Or if he's not open, he points to somebody that is. That, to me was a basketball play. That was like trying to break a press and you're trying to get it to your big man in the middle and he's going, hey, I'm covered, but he's not. And Mahomes finds Juju, who's just patiently waiting for the ball. He gets it and runs forward. There was a similar play to that in the AFC Championship game with Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Now, it was a little bit more set up and designed for MVS to be the fourth or fifth option in the play because you saw everything unfolding in front of him and there's MVS as an outlet option. They dump it off to him. He picks up 15 or 20. When you have that many weapons in an offense, it's hard to cover one. It's hard to cover two. And even if you take away the number one, number two, number three option, there's always somebody that's open. Which leads me to my final massive play of the game. And it's a guy that I have definitely been harsh on this year. 
I did not expect to see him on the field that much after Kadarius Toney got here. And that's Sky Moore getting his first career receiving touchdown in the NFL in the Super Bowl. And I want to praise Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and Matt Nagy here for designing this play and just running it on the opposite side of the field. Go back to the previous series. Kadarius Toney lines up outside wide. Mahomes brings him in motion. And the Eagles think Kadarius Toney, being a gadget player, is going to either follow behind Mahomes or run in front of him, and it's going to be a pitch, a handoff. We've seen the Chiefs do it 200 times before. But Tony, being as quick as he is, he sort of jogs in toward the offensive line and then stops and breaks back out, and the Eagles were discombobulated. They had two guys going to the other side of the field and didn't even realize Tony didn't go there. He just stepped back out, and it was the easiest pass Patrick Mahomes made all season. But that's not the play I'm talking about. I'm talking the next offensive series. I'm sure the Eagles on third and goal, by the way. Both these plays were on third down. And the Chiefs had struggled this year in the red zone on third down. They just didn't have their red zone target, which is weird to think when you have Travis Kelsey, Juju, MVS, Sky Moore, Darius Toney. There's so many weapons. But the Chiefs decide, hey, we're going to run this play again. We're going to run it with a different player. And it's going to catch them off guard. And it was just a brilliant, brilliant play call. As Sky Moore does the exact same thing, he motions in towards the line. As the ball is snapped, breaks back out. And there's nobody there to cover him. And Mahomes has the second easiest touchdown pass of the season, just floating it over Orlando Brown Jr. to Sky Moore. And when we get back to this redemption type of game, you can see the emotion that Sky Moore had. Of course, it's you just scored in the Super Bowl. He can tell his kids forever, I scored my rookie season in the very first Super Bowl. That was my first NFL touchdown to put us up by eight in the fourth quarter. And Sky Moore is a guy that burst onto the scene in training camp, like Isaiah Pacheco, was great in special teams, returning punts, and you're going, man, this guy's going to be ridiculous. He's going to take snaps from McCole Hardman. He's going to surpass MVS and receiving yards this year. By the end of the year, he's going to be one of the more trustworthy receivers. It didn't unfold that way. In fact, he had more negative plays in his rookie season, more impactful negative plays than positive ones. But it's refreshing to know that in the final two games of the year, Sky Moore made a play that altered the game. The punt return against Cincinnati. We talked about that all last week and the week before. And then this touchdown against Philly, the emotion comes out, and you're going, this is a guy that at 22, 23 years old is playing for a Super Bowl contender. That's what gets lost in all of this, which is why I'm so impressed that Isaiah Pacheco had an 1,000-yard season as a seventh-round running back. Rookies stepping in to Super Bowl contenders isn't this blissful, awesome, completely sunshine-and-rainbow experience. Because they're stepping into a situation where there's a hell of a lot of pressure. You always think in your mind when the number one overall pick, a quarterback, for instance, the Texans are picking number two and then the Bears are one. The Bears are probably going to take an edge rusher, so I'm going to move to the Houston Texans here. They'll take Bryce Young. Unless there's a trade and they're going to move up to number one or somebody else moves up to one like Carolina or Indianapolis. The first quarterback off the board to me is going to be Bryce Young. Bryce Young is going to go to a bad football team. And you think in your mind... That's a lot of pressure. 
That's a lot of pressure for a guy to go in there and be the guy. But I think most rational fans understand that a rookie quarterback is going to struggle in year one. If they're with a bad team, they're in a bad system, they have a bad coach, it's not going to be a 10, 11, 12 win season. They're likely going to win four or five if they're lucky. Go to Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. He had Urban Meyer as his coach. A disastrous season in Jacksonville. He was terrible last year. And then, this year, he takes the Jags to a division title. He responds after being 3-8 and eight in the year. They finish 9-8, and eight, go to Kansas City, play competitive enough against the eventual Super Bowl champions. It takes some time. So, yes, there's pressure on guys going to bad teams as rookies, but I think we almost forget or get swept under the rug how much pressure there is on rookies going into Super Bowl contenders. Those are teams that expect a lot. Those are teams that go in there and say, we are going to win 12 or 13 games. We are going to be in the postseason. We are going to be in AFC or NFC title games. We are going to be in the Super Bowl. And so for Isaiah Pacheco to be the number one running back when it's all said and done and not really crumble under the pressure, that's impressive. Sky Moore, who was disastrous this year, could have said, I don't want to be on the field. He could have gone into a shell and said, I don't want to be out there. I mean, could you imagine the nerves in his body as he's back there to return a punt late in the fourth quarter against Cincinnati, knowing his history returning punts, And then to have the confidence in himself to not only catch the punt, and yes, I'm just saying catching the punt would have been a big win for Sky Moore, but to return it, have one of the best returns of the year in that moment, it shows growth. It shows maturity. And for that touchdown in the Super Bowl, I think it showed the growth of knowing how to run that play, running it, selling it well, running the route effectively, having that explosiveness we had seen in the combine. And it kind of gives you a good taste in your mouth going into the offseason that he can take that and only go up from here. This was a redemption game for a lot of players, but it was so refreshing to see some of these guys like Sky Moore, Kadarius Toney, Nick Bolton, have this big moment in the Super Bowl and lead the team to victory because they went through some tough times this year. There were games that were won and lost because of those players. And to me... Sky Moore, of any rookie I'd seen, maybe next to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, had seen the most criticism of any rookie under Patrick Mahomes. And it does sort of sting when you are a wide receiver and you're expected to come in and just thrive in this offense. There's pressure. Keep in mind, these are 21, 22, 23-year-old kids that are coming from college teams. Sky Moore played at Western Michigan last year and then was playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday. And getting snaps and scoring touchdowns. So that, to me, was the fifth biggest play of the game. I know there were 10, 15, 20 more massive plays in the game. You could say the game-winning field goal by Butker. You could say a handful of the throws Patrick Mahomes made. You could say a couple of the stops the defense had. There's a lot of them. I could have gone with the opening drive of the second half. Let me talk about that series. You're down by double digits. You're not panicking, but you go, all right, this is what could win or lose us the game. We go three and out. We have a turnover. Philly's going to run away with this one. But to respond in that way, it shows the resiliency of this team. It shows that this group, no matter the size of the deficit, is always going to be able to overcome. So my five biggest plays of the Super Bowl, the Nick Bolton scoop and score, I'm going to go with the Sky Moore. Receiving touchdown. I'm going to go with the Kadarius Tony punt return. 
I'm going to go with the first and last play of the final offensive series for the Kansas City Chiefs in 2022-2023. That swing pass to Juju Smith-Schuster and the scramble, or I guess that would have been the one of the final offensive plays of the game, the scramble that Patrick Mahomes had. So that, to me, when I look back, I've already rewatched the game. When I go through those plays, I think that, those had the biggest impact on the outcome of this game. Marco, before we head to break, uh, what were your biggest takeaways? What were your biggest moments? I'm sure I've already listed a few, but if you can go back and just have those ones that are burning your brain, that you go, I'll never forget that play, no matter how big or small it was. It doesn't have to be a touchdown. It could be a 25-yard rush by Isaiah Pacheco. It could be you know, a kick by Harrison Butker. Right. It could be uh, the that was one of those too. That were big. Yeah, one of one of the biggest ones of the season. <laughs> it could be Juan Thornhill breaking up that pass that Jalen Hurts had a dot to. I want to say Devontae Smith. Yeah, like, there were big plays everybody had, but to me, those are my biggest five. Do you have maybe one or two that you'd want to add on to the list? Yeah, you talked about the rookies, um, rookie Sky Moore and uh, his touchdown play, and kind of gave some backstory of him. I really wanted. I really. Think, and when you were talking about it, that it made me think. Although he never really gave us a reason to be concerned, uh, you got to uh, hand it to Isaiah Pacheco for not giving up a fumble. Oh yeah, but also there wasn't there. Also, just having the motor and and that's a, this just speaks to the type of person or player that he is when you get him out there on the field. And it goes back to what he said at the beginning of the year that he was going to take a grown man's job. He doesn't see himself as that seventh round pick out of Rutgers that um, that you would that that some people saw as a Darwin Thompson type of pick yeah. again. So, just props to him for being able to do what he did on the ground, but also and this is, and Chiefs no turnovers altogether, but no turnovers from him, um, and even got himself a touchdown, uh, which is huge score wise, um, and then. There was a play on an Eagles offensive drive. Maybe you can help me out here. Kenneth Gainwell got a ball uh, off the uh, – it was either third down or second down. It was a key drive, though. And the Chiefs were able to pick him up and stop him short of the marker. Yep. And I can't remember if they forced a punt or fourth down or what happened I there. I think they forced a field goal. I think that was when it was 24-21 okay. and the Eagles were driving. It was just after that opening series drive they, in the second they half. They had been doing that short stuff all day mm-hmm. with the running backs, and they did it again with Kenneth Gainwell. But Nick – Bolton was there to stop to stop it short, and I just remember thinking that if they got that first down, I was like, not only does that give them uh, opportunity to keep the score on this drive, but something that they had done well all game, and that was chewed more time off the clock. You know, I, I just I, I love rewatching the game, and I think it's even better when they win and when the Chiefs win. That is, but you talk about some big defensive stops. I think there were also two more I want to add in here. Yeah, it was the. One of the drives in the second half, Colin Saunders, who emerged of yeah, late, yeah. he is on the opposite side of the field. Jalen Hurts takes off, and it ended up being a loss of one. But when Jalen Hurts took off, I'm going, he's probably going to pick up five, six, maybe seven yards here. And it's on first down. It wasn't a critical third down. But Colin Saunders busted his ass. And, and Colin Saunders is athletic for his size. I mean, what is he? 5'11", 320 pounds? Big man. I mean, he is so uber-athletic. And he busted his ass to the other side of the field and forced Jalen Hurts out of bounds. There was another play on defense. This was the first half where they dumped it off to Dallas Goddard on a tight end screen. And he had three linemen ahead of him and the middle of the field completely open. And Jalen Watson comes knifing in from 
I think, the side angle of Goddard. So Goddard didn't really see him. He came up from his right side and just clipped him. Clipped the back of his foot, and he didn't even pick up a first down. If Jalen Watson misses that tackle, Dallas Goddard goes for 40. I mean, there was nobody. They they had, I think, maybe Brian Cook left, and I want to say maybe Justin Reed. And we saw these young guys in the secondary get so much better at tackling. Think back to last year when the Chiefs fell short. What was one of the biggest frustrating points of that team? They couldn't tackle. They never pushed anybody back at the point of contact. This team struggled early on and got so much better. I think it changed for me. It's an odd game to pick. But the Christmas Eve game against against Seattle. The defense was coming off a bad game. And here they show up against Seattle. Cold weather, Christmas Eve, early kick, it's noon. And they just started hitting people. They were pushing dudes back, gang tackling. And from that point, they really took off. We saw the cornerbacks, the safeties, the linebackers wrap up and tackle. Push guys back. We saw the defensive front get more ferocious. And it carried this team to a victory in the Super Bowl. We'll have plenty of talk as the week progresses. We'll just be recapping this game, talking about the legacy of this team, looking ahead to next year. And you know what's exciting? We can now start looking into the draft, going through some mock drafts that will be here in Kansas City. And the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs will have the 32nd pick and a hell of a lot more picks to go through in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th round. So great time to bask in the glory in Kansas City. But we are still going to take time this week to recap what it all led to. The second Super Bowl win in four years in Kansas City. A remarkable end to an extraordinary season. I mean, I'm still baffled. I'm at a loss of words for it. 17-3 and in year one without Tyreek Hill. And this team's only going to get better. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, let's talk some college basketball. Two big games tonight for Kansas and Kansas State. And we'll recap what happened last night in Lubbock. The Texas Longhorns fall to the Red Raiders, and now the Big 12 race is wide open once again. That's next on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Two big games tonight in the Big 12 for Kansas and Kansas State. Both teams on the road. And with the Big 12 race still wide open after Texas lost last night to Texas Tech, tonight means a lot. Very much to Kansas State, very much to Kansas. And I think when you go back to last night, of the two games that occurred, you have Baylor winning 79-67 at home in Waco against West Virginia and Tech beating Texas and Lubbock 74-67 It hammers in the point we made last week. The Big 12 champion is not going to be crowned for their head-to-head matchups against the second, third, fourth, fifth place teams. It'll be how they fared against the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth place teams. Texas Tech, who had one win going into last week, one win in conference play, and a 23-point comeback to Iowa State, has now won back-to-back home games against Kansas State and Texas. And Texas, by the way, was coming off a 30-point beatdown 
over West Virginia. You just never can make a true prediction in the Big 12. Oklahoma State, who hosts Kansas tonight, was dead to rights. They were dead in the water back on January 15th. They had just lost three in a row. They had only won one of their last four games. They lost to Kansas to open up conference play. They were 1-4 in four near the bottom of the conference, struggling. And since they lost to Texas and Austin by 14, back on January 24th, they haven't lost. Since their loss to Baylor on January 14th, I think it was January 24th against Texas, January 14th against Baylor, they've only lost one more time. They've beaten Oklahoma. They've beaten Iowa State. They've won in Norman against the Sooners again. They've beaten TCU at home. They've beaten Tech. They just recently won against Iowa State names. They became the first team this year to win at Hilton Coliseum. Now, all of a sudden, they're red hot and easily in the NCAA tournament. They're not in the bubble. 16-9 will get you in. And they're only a game back of Kansas and the conference standings. When I looked at this game two, three weeks ago, I thought it would be a trap game for Kansas. I thought it would be a difficult game because they always struggle in Stillwater. Now, this may be one of the toughest games Kansas has left on their schedule. I'm being completely candid with that. It is tough to win in Stillwater, and it's tough right now to beat this Oklahoma State team. I don't need to remind Kansas fans about how good this team can be. Oklahoma State had a 15-point lead at half an Allen Fieldhouse and nearly pulled it off in the end. And it's an Oklahoma State team right now playing with house money. They're going to have a rocking, hostile home environment tonight. It's always going to be hostile when Kansas comes to town. But if you're Kansas and you really want to at least clinch a share, this is a must-win game. And I know we've thrown around that word, and I hate using the term must-win games because they're all must-win games. There's no loss that's acceptable. You can stomach it, but you're never going to walk away and say, it's okay that we lost. And no, if Kansas loses tonight, it's not the end of their season. It makes winning the Big 12 a hell of a lot more difficult. But if you win tonight, if Kansas beats Oklahoma State and Stillwater, though they are unranked, Kansas is at least getting a share of the Big 12 title. There's no doubt in my mind at that point. Because for Kansas, though they've gotten the majority of their tough part of the schedule out of the way, they still get to come back home and play TCU, West Virginia, and Texas Tech. The Baylor game on Saturday will likely decide who would be the team sharing with Texas. Even after Texas lost last night, I think the winner between Kansas and Baylor at Allen Fieldhouse may decide things. Now, Baylor is tied atop first place with Texas right now. If Kansas wins tonight, you got a three-way tie, which gives monumental stakes to the game in Lawrence on Saturday. But first things first, you got to take care of Oklahoma State. You can pretty much chalk up Tech and West Virginia at home as wins. TCU's really banged up. You get them on Monday in Fort Worth. And then Texas and Austin to close out the season. So still a lot of season to be played. But if you want to go back to a defining moment of the season, tonight is going to be that. Because of how Oklahoma State has been playing, and no, they have not been beating up on the top teams in the conference. They lost to Texas by 14. But they are coming off one of the more impressive wins I have seen from a Big 12 team this season. 
You can miss me with that Iowa State struggle of late. It's still winning at Hilton Coliseum. We saw Kansas get their ass kicked up there a couple of weekends ago. Kansas State lost in Hilton. Texas lost in Hilton. Not Oklahoma State. This Oklahoma State team, when Bryce Thompson is playing well, the former Jayhawk, they can be just as good as anybody in the conference. And if you're Bill Self, this coaching staff, you're Jalen Wilson, you're Grady Dick, you're K.J. Adams, when you're going to this game tonight, I think you're going to have to hope that Oklahoma State just plays poorly. Not saying that Kansas doesn't have to do anything. But I think for you to feel comfortable at this game tonight, you better hope the Cowboys don't come out firing. You better hope they're not red hot to start the game in the way they were at Allen Fieldhouse because the difference now is that at Allen Fieldhouse, you still had the crowd. When things got out of control, you know the crowd was quiet. They weren't feeding off Oklahoma State playing well. If you fall behind by 10 or 15 tonight in Stillwater, that place is going to be unhinged. And we've seen this Kansas team a couple of times crumble when the crowd gets loud. We saw them crumble against Iowa State when things spiraled. Now, I thought it was very impressive in what they did against a bad Oklahoma team on Saturday afternoon. you got to build on that. You've seen the last two games, this offense become more balanced. It's not the Jalen Wilson show anymore, and the bench play has been great. Ernest Uday is now emerging as that top big off the bench. Joseph Yesfus had a great game from last week against Texas. He was okay against Oklahoma. But when you're having bench play give you some production, you feel more confident in these games. But, man, I cannot overstate enough how big this game is tonight for Kansas and its Big 12 title hopes and aspirations. Same thing for Oklahoma State. If they win, it's not crazy to think they can make an incredible run here down the stretch. It's usually a team that gets tougher as the season goes on, just like Kansas. Now, Mike Boyd and his squad... They sometimes struggle out of the gates. They'll be 10 and 8, 10 and 9, 11 and 10, something like that. But even if they're not winning games, we've seen them in previous years be a really tough out in early, mid, and late February. And it is no different tonight. Kansas and Oklahoma State tipping off at 8 p.m. on ESPN. The Jayhawks are a one and a half point favorite. As for the Kansas State Wildcats, there's no way to really sugarcoat this. They've been a bad Big 12 road team. I mean, a very bad Big 12 road team over the last four games. And it shocks me because they beat Baylor. They beat Texas early on in conference play. But since that point, they've lost to TCU by 14. They lost to Iowa State by 4. They lost to Kansas by 12. And they just recently lost to Texas Tech by 8. Now, those were still good teams. You played TC with Mike Miles, you played Iowa State, who only has one loss at Hilton, and you played Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse, where you haven't won since 2006. But the loss to Texas Tech, I think, is starting to show a pattern. That this Kansas State team is damn good at home. They thrive off their home crowd. But they're just a team that, when you're in a hostile environment, one of the things you have to do really well is take care of the basketball. K-State is near the bottom in the conference and taking care of the basketball. I love Marquise Noel. I love Keontae Johnson. I love Talman, Gasson, Cam Carter, Desi Sills off the bench, Ish Masood, Bebe Igiola, Tyke Green. They've got a deep rotation. I think I would say a deep rotation in terms of guard play. They're not a deep team when you're speaking in general about them. But the one thing that really hurts Kansas State, if you want to look at the downfall of a team, 
They do not take care of the basketball. They were really bad in Lubbock. I think 24 turnovers that led to a loss against the Red Raiders. And it's because, though Marquise Noel, I think, is the best scoring point guard in the conference now that Mike Miles is injured, he is not very good at taking care of the basketball. At times, he can be very careless. And Keontae Johnson has had his games of five or more turnovers. And when Kansas State is coughing the ball up left and right, guess what it does? It allows inferior teams to just hang around. And when you're turning the ball over left and right, it gets the crowd into it. It gets the crowd loud. Now, they're going to be an environment tonight that's not intimidating whatsoever. The Lloyd Noble Center is by far and away the worst arena in the Big 12. There's no atmosphere. There's no crowd. It might even be 50-50 K-State and Oklahoma. So I'm not really worried about Kansas State tonight. But I want to see improvement in taking care of the ball. It is a team that when they are taking care of the ball, they can run away with games. We've seen them run away with games against TCU, run away with games against Florida, run away against Texas Tech at home. You know, when they've beaten those teams, they're not turning the ball over every single possession. And when you're not scoring at a high rate in the way they weren't against Texas Tech, that can haunt you. That can bite you. Because when you're playing a team like Texas Tech or Oklahoma, or even at times a West Virginia, they don't have those top scores that are going to overwhelm you in a shootout. The reason they lost to Tech was not because Texas Tech outplayed them offensively. And hell, I wouldn't even say that they outplayed K-State defensively. K-State shot themselves in the foot a lot. And I mean a hell of a lot. And that's something where you look back on it and go, it's a bad game, those are going to happen in the Big 12, it's hard to win on the road in the Big 12. And yes, I would say that K-State's Big 12 title dreams are slowly dying. If they lose tonight, they're dead. Because you have Iowa State and Baylor back-to-back and then Oklahoma State on the road and West Virginia still on the road. That's a tough stretch. It's tougher than most most people expect. But you got to get back on track tonight. You have to have that mental approach of, we can win on the road. I don't care if it's Oklahoma. I don't care if it's Texas and Austin. You have to view every single game like it's a big one on the road. You can't sleepwalk tonight. Oklahoma, though a very bad basketball team, and I mean a really bad basketball team, they kind of have that scary inconsistency to them. They can be as bad as being thumped by West Virginia or as good as beating Alabama by nearly 30 points. And an Alabama team that's number one in the country and still hasn't lost an SEC play. Now, it took a nuclear performance offensively from Oklahoma to do that, but who's to say they can't do it again? Sometimes those teams that are that inconsistent, they just have that one game and a five-game stretch. They have that one game that can change everything. And Kansas State, I'm sure, is aware of that. They're conscious of that. But they got to focus on themselves. If they take care of the basketball, they're going to have no problems. They've got the scores. Their coaching staff always seems to have them prepared. But in this game, it's about still staying up for it. You don't want to look ahead to Iowa State. You don't want to look ahead to Baylor. You have to focus on Oklahoma. Now, this Kansas State team is going to be in the NCAA tournament. And I think we said this two or three weeks ago, that every team in the Big 12 is going to go through their rut. Every single team is going to have that two-game losing streak, that three-game slide, maybe a four-game slide, but it's how you respond. And I think right now... Kansas State's in a little bit of a lull. They're 2-4 and four over their last six. And only one Big 12 win. And that was against TCU without Mike Miles and pretty much without Eddie Lampkin, their best two players. 
it's been a little bit of time since we've seen this Kansas State team really assert their dominance. And maybe that was to be expected. They were a team that was really overachieving preseason pick to be last in the conference and then hung around the top. So you're going to go through a lull, and they didn't lose to really any bad teams aside from Texas Tech. And after last night, we can probably stop considering Texas Tech to be a bad basketball team. They've beaten three straight teams that were top 15 all at home. So they're a tough out as well. But Kansas State, I think, is starting to show now that when Marquise Noel is slumping a little bit, Keontae Johnson is slumping a little bit, where are they going to get that production? Now tonight, I don't think Oklahoma has the guy to go up against a Keontae Johnson. They're not as big. They're not as physical. I think you probably guessed that Sherfield would have a chance to go on Johnson. Maybe they'll stick him on Marquise Noel. But it's time to get out of the slump. This could be a slump-busting game for Kansas State. Because you can't really dilly-dally around and try to just limp into the conference tournament and into the NCAA tournament. At one point, this Kansas State team was 17-3. and And you're thinking, hell, they may be a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. But just because you lose a couple of games doesn't mean the bottom's going to fall out. There are still very much winnable games on this schedule. I think they can easily split between Iowa State and Baylor because they're that good at home. But it's going to be those games on the road that I have my eye on. Oklahoma State in Stillwater, West Virginia in Morgantown. Those are the games to me that I look at and say that could decide just where Kansas State ends up in the NCAA tournament. They were as good as being a number two seed, and if they really bottom out, they can be as bad as a five, six, maybe even a seven seed. That's how quickly things can change, and it's about getting back on track, getting focused against the worst team in the conference tonight. It's an 8 p.m. tip-off, so Kansas and Kansas State will both be Tipping off at the same time, just on different channels, of course. ESPNU for Kansas State and Oklahoma. The Cats, a one-and-a-half-point favorite. There is Ray Charles, so it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We will talk to you tomorrow at 10 AM. You take it easy, Kansas City. I'll have to pack my things and go. Hit the road, Jack.